0: All right. Good evening, church, and welcome to tonight's Bible study. Well, before we start, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this evening for an opportunity to come before your throne of grace and study at your feet. We ask that your Holy Spirit, who is the master teacher, will lead us into all truth, will give us understanding. most importantly, we'll expand and enlarge our hearts that we will be able to run the course of the commandments in this teaching. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right. Before we delve into tonight's parable, last week we looked at the parable of the good fig tree. and um, Why do we call it the parable of the good fig tree? Jesus gave a parable talking about a fig tree you will know it's good when its branch has already been tender and has put forth leaves. And Jesus was saying this in relation to the coming um, event of his appearing. He he gave that in relation to signs because... um, What made Jesus give this parable, was a question he was answering. His disciples were asking him that, Lord, when will the signs of your coming be? Which led Jesus to uh, give them an expose on on that. So last week we looked at 16 signs that Jesus talked about. Um, When we see these signs, we should know that the coming of the end, is signaling here and among the 16 signs we, we touched on deception wars and rumors of wars nation against nation uh, we spoke about offenses we talked about betrayal hatred of one another we talked about the rise of false prophets and false messiahs we talked about lawlessness we talked about backsliding Um when you see people who are rapidly leaving the faith uh it's a sign that crisis coming is imminent you know sometimes you, you see some gospel musicians who will say that oh I'm I'm, I'm no longer in the faith many many gospel musicians come into my mind when I think about this <laughs> some who have penned down great tunes and you know they just leave the faith I remember one one of, you know, I like listening to um, um, Christian rap. One of my favorite Christian rappers, he just left the faith. And today, if you check his post, it is, man, it's it's more than blasphemy. And it breaks and saddens my heart. There's someone who really repped Jesus to the core and uh, he's left the faith. And I pray that um, he will come back uh, before Christ has come in. Um, Happens. Amen. It, it breaks my heart time I see And one of the major signs we talked about was the preaching of the gospel to the nations of the world. It shows that Christ is coming as eminent. Amen. So, based on Jesus' analogy of the fig tree, he used it to talk about, I will come back again. But before I come, look for the signs. And uh, one of the things we, we learned from the story was, Jesus says that not that my coming is at hand, but no one knows the day nor the hour. Not the angels of heaven, holy God the Father. Amen. So no man of God, nobody knows. All that we know is that whenever we see these signs, it should prompt us that we are coming to the end of this age. The coming of the Lord is at hand. And it has always been at hand. But when it comes to the exact day or hour when that event will take place, no one knows. That's why we have to be on the guard and beware. Amen. So, um, one of the things that will help us to beware is to submit to grace. Grace teaches us to be godly, grace teaches us to be righteous, teaches us to deny ungodliness, worldliness, and it just us to look forward to the blessed hope of the coming and Savior of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when, when you submit yourself to grace, you will not see the coming of the Lord as something terrifying. You will see it as the blessed hope of the coming of the Lord. Amen. Today, I happened to chance on a video that one of you on this platform sends to me, and before I even started um, watching the video, I was just reading the comments, and everything I read was about fear. People's hearts were gripped with fear. And based on the comments, I sort of knew what the video would be all about. Then I'm looking at the duration, an hour and 32. I'm like, man, an hour and 32? I could use an hour and 32 to read a book, to study the Bible, to read something. I don't have time to especially if it's not going to benefit me. Amen. But one thing I realized was when you submit yourself to grace and when you have a so-called vision of Jesus as coming soon or something, it's not supposed to engineer fear in your heart. That's the point. You are supposed to see it as the blessed hope of the coming of the... Grace can let you say that. So if you are not submitting yourselves to the working of grace and you are submitting yourself under the leadership of grace the coming of the lord will be like a horror movie or a chill that will send tingle down your spine and that's not how we should approach the coming of the lord amen so we should be on the guard and and be vigilant and live a very sober life so that we will not miss the coming of the Lord because it will be like a thief in the night. Amen. That's what the Bible says. And and Jesus says, As the days of no hour, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Amen. So at, at our least expected opportunity or when we drop the ball of vigilance, the coming of the Lord will suddenly dawn on us. Amen. But it's, it's nothing to be afraid of. Like we said, we have to rely... On the grace of God. Amen. Grace teaches us how to live a life worthy of the expectation of the coming of the Lord. Amen. And we will not see it as a, as a chilling story or a chilling event. We will call it the blessed hope. Amen. All right. So that was it about the parable of the fig tree. Tonight we are going to look at our last parable. And that the kingdom takes roots. Amen. So, if you do remember, I told you that we are going to group the parables into four. Okay. So, the first grouping is the kingdom takes roots. The second grouping is the kingdom is present with us. The third grouping is the kingdom comes alive in us. So, under each grouping are a set of parables. And then the last grouping will the kingdom transforms our world. So now the first grouping, or which I'll call part one, is the kingdom takes root in us. So under the kingdom takes root in us, we have done eight parables. So today will be the ninth parable, and then we'll close the kingdom takes root in us. So the next time we will tackle the parables, we are going to start with the kingdom is present with us. So, under the kingdom takes root in us, we've done lesson one. New cloth, new wineskins, which was taken from Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 to 17, Mark 2, verse 18 to 22, and Luke 5, verse 33 to 39. It talks to us about the famous scripture which says that you can't pour old wine into new wine skin, or you can't, um, what do you call it, um, put an old garment on a new garment. You you can't. What is old belongs to the old. What is new belongs to the new. Jesus hereby was inferring about New Testament. You can't live in the New Testament and practice Old Testament concepts. It doesn't work. Amen. The, the, the book of Galatians talks so much about that. For you to understand this parable very carefully, you have to, read the six chapters of Galatians, because Paul, through the Holy Spirit, spent more time talking about that. And Jesus had to talk about this in relation to fasting. He was talking there because the the people were asking, why don't they fast? He said, when the bridegroom is gone, they will fast. So Jesus never discounted fasting. He didn't downplay the role of fasting. He just said that when I go, they will fast. And now they should rejoice because the bridegroom is here. Under the Old Testament, you fast because you felt sorry, you, you, you had contrition, and you wanted the Lord to forgive you of your sins. That's not why we fast in the New Testament, because Christ has died for us. Right, Grimm is here. We have to rejoice. So now, there are different reasons, different purposes, why we will fast under the New Testament. So that's it for lesson one that we did. And lesson two, under the kingdom takes root, was the parable of the builder, which was taken from Matthew 7, verse 24 to 27, Luke chapter 6, verse 46 to 49. And this story talks to us about our lives have to be founded on the word of God. Because if our lives are not founded on the word of God and we build it on anything else, when the storms of life come, It will be shaky, and and it will not stand. So um, this parable really teaches us that we should found our lives on the foundation of the solid rock of God's word. And if you do remember from the parable, we realized that Jesus talked about two builders that built structures. One decided to build it on a rock. The structures were preferably houses. The other prefer to build it on the sand. The Bible says that the storms came, the winds came, and, you know, the one that's his house was built firmly on the rock stood, and the one whose house was built on the sand came tumbling down. It speaks to us about our lives. Please build your life on the solid rock of God's word. Amen. Every Christian today should learn how to read and study the Bible. You don't read and study the Bible because you're a pastor. You read and study the Bible because you're a Christian. Reading and studying the Bible doesn't mean God has called you. Reading and studying the Bible is a basic, are you listening to me? Basic. It's a basic duty of every Christian. Every Christian has to read and study the Bible. Decide to practically build your life on God's word. Sometimes many Christians are very lazy. They spread out. Let the pastor do the work, and then you give the opportunity for pastors to say any sort of thing, and it flies. Because we are not fair-minded, like Luke would attest to the Berean Church. The Berean Church, they were fair-minded. Other scriptures say they were noble because they search the scriptures, search, search the scriptures, ascertain the scriptures for yourself. Amen. You don't need to be a scholar to know how to use a concordance. You don't need to be a scholar to know how to use a commentary. All these things are self-taught. They are on the internet. Though I remember some time ago, before these things were download were downloadable, they used to be. Very exclusive, very expensive. I remember when you go to some of these Christian bookshops, you have to look at the top shelf. That's where all those things were placed. I do remember. In England, I used to go to a place called CLC. If you want a concordance, a commentary, that's where you get. But today you don't even need that. It's just a device. You can download all these things and then read them. Build, build your life. Read the Bible daily. Invite the Holy Spirit. Build your life so that when storms, when persecutions, when tribulations come, because your life is founded strongly on the word of God, you will not shake. Amen. So the second parable is very, very important. The third parable under part one, the kingdom takes root, is the lamp under a basket. And we looked at that from Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16, Mark 4, verse 21 to 25 luke 8 verse 16 to 18 and luke chapter 11 verse 33 to 36 amen and what we learned about the lamp under the basket is that for us to be the light of the world we need to be connected to the lamp amen because the light gets a source from the lamp so here it comes again the lamp represents the word of god your word is a, is a light, it's a lamp unto my feet. Others even quote it. Your word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. Psalm 119. Amen. So for us to really be the light of the world, our influence, our shining, our, our appearance as believers, with influence will come from the influence of the Word of God. Amen. So one thing we also have to learn from this parable is that when Jesus was talking about this particularly in Matthew chapter 5 verse 14 to 16 he wanted people to feel our influence as Christians and how would they feel our influence? Through our good works. Through our good works people are going to give glory to God. So Our works have to be a conduit through which people will come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And then secondly, our good works are supposed to glorify our Father. Amen. So if you do remember, we did spend time qualifying good works. What do we call good works? Anything done outside Christ is not good work. It might be good in nature. But it's not good work. Amen. So we did qualify good works. So we are all supposed to do good works. We are all supposed to be candidates of good works. That is why when someone hasn't received his life to Christ, any good work that he does, because it's not in Christ, it's just like filthy rags. That's why we have to thank God for Christ. Because no amount of good works could suffice God's pleasure. No amount. Our good works are as best as filthy rags. That's why all of us were given this opportunity to receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior on the basis of Christ dying for us. And then when we come into Christ, any work of any nature that is reputable, that is good, is qualified as good works. But outside the Father, no matter how good nature that work is, you don't call that good works. Amen. And then we came to learn about the next parable in lesson four, which talked about the parable of the two debtors in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. And this was in response to... Um, the people who were, surround, who were surrounded in Simon's house, Simon the Pharisee, who invited Jesus. And when a woman of a questionable background, of a bad past, came to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair and poured the most expensive fragrance on Jesus' feet, it evoked a lot of criticism. People felt like, this is your Phariseical. Qualities are in question. Because Pharisees they don't mingle with women, number one. Number two, Pharisees don't mingle with sinners. So you claim you are a Pharisee, you came you, you, claim you are a rabbi, but your 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 qualities are in question. It led Jesus to tell a parable of two debtors, who all, but one had a significantly larger debts than the other. Jesus asked of the two, if their debts are cancelled, who will be most grateful? And Simon answered rightly. He said that one with the larger debts, it led Jesus to teach a very important lesson that to whom much is forgiven, that person will be grateful. So this woman who has come to worship me And and even that even showed that the woman had a revelation of who Jesus was. Because at that time, you know, they did not really see Jesus as the Son of God. They didn't see Jesus as God. They just saw him as a good man, a teacher, and what have you. But this woman saw Jesus that this man forgives sins. And that's why Jesus commended the woman that your faith has made you well. Go and sin no more. You are forgiven. Amen. So to whom much is forgiven, the person will love much. And that's why this woman loves me. So this really taught us a lesson that all of us were that woman. All of us. We are that woman. We've all been forgiven of much. All of us. Some may say, oh, I never had a bad past. I was always a good boy but you were still forgiven of much because you were on your way to hell. You were on the express route to hell. Irrespective of whether you were morally upright, you were on the express route to hell. All of us have been forgiven of much and we have to realize that when we realize we have been forgiven of much, it affects our zeal, our devotion towards the things of God and it affects our worship of God. Amen. So do you know you've been forgiven of much? If you know you've been forgiven of much, you will not need a worship leader to prop you up to worship God. You will even worship God on your own because you've known you've been forgiven of much. Amen. We Then it, it, we moved on to lesson five. We talked about the parable of the sower. And that can be looked at in Matthew chapter 13, verse 1 to 23, Mark 4, verse 1 to 20, Luke 8, verse 4 to 15. And it you know, it's one of the popular parables. Jesus even said, if you don't understand this parable, how are you gonna understand any of the parables? It talks about a sower who scattered seeds in four different kinds of fields: um, wayside, stony ground, among thorns. And good ground, and Jesus used this to explain our hearts. You know that the, the wayside represents the heart of an unbeliever. The stony ground represents the heart of one who hasn't g- having deep depths in the things of God. A canal Christian, a Christian who has experienced stunted growth is a canal Christian. That the third heart among tongues talks about someone who is a distracted Christian. And then the last ground, which is a good ground, talks about a mature Christian. And all you know, all these had different reactions. And, and we looked at that. Uh, and most importantly, the the, the the focus was on the good ground that had a 30, 60, and a fold. So it, it led us to know two things: that the word of God will always have fruits in our life based on two conditions or two criteria. One, the quality of the seed, which is the word of God. The word is always good. Because the Lord once told Jeremiah, when my word goes out, it will never come back to me void. It will accomplish and it will prosper. What it has been sent forth to do. I'm sorry, Isaiah. I think Isaiah chapter fifty-five. So the, the, the word always bears fruit. So most times it's the condition of our hearts. We we have to make sure and check, especially if you're a believer, you have to ask yourself, is, is my heart the heart of a carnal Christian? Is my heart the heart of a distracted Christian? Or is my heart the heart of a good ground Christian? Because the quality of your heart will determine the fruits that you will give birth to. Amen. Then we looked at parable 6. It talks to us about the parable of the seed that grows. Mark chapter 4, verse 26 to 29. So this parable was on the heels of Jesus talking about the four kinds of fields. And one of the things we learned from it is the progressive growth of the seed. When it falls on a good ground, the Bible lets us know that when the seed falls on a good ground, especially a seed of a grain, because that's what it uses. The earth yields crop by itself, but first it has to come as the blade. Then it will move from the blade to the head, and then it will progress from there to the full grain in the head. And then the harvester will now begin to lay his sickle upon the grain because the grain is ripened. If you do remember, we had a visual image of that. When the seed of God's word is planted in our lives, we have to be encouraged by its process. And this time it will take. The, the word will not come back to God void. It, it will go forth to accomplish and prosper that it has been sent to do. We should just have a bit of patience and take our time and allow the work to have its divine process and orchestration in our lives. Amen. So take time. It, it takes time for the work to grow. It takes time for us to mature in the likeness and in the image of Christ. It takes time. What, what What is more important is that don't give up on the process. Don't give up on the process. And what was the process? We spoke about that. The process is, you read the word of God or you hear the word of God, you obey it. And then you take ownership of the word and the seed is planted and then allow the seed to have its work. And then when you look back, you will see the distance by which you've covered. When you look at your life in retrospect, you will see how far your, your, your life has resembled more of the word you read or more of the word you, you hear. So we should never despise and undermine the process of the growth of the word of God as a seed in the life of us, particularly believers. Amen. Then it led us to parable seven. Parable seven, we talked about the parable of the barren fig tree in Luke chapter 13, verse six to nine. And Jesus gave this parable to drive home a message on repentance. Amen. So Jesus received news that Pilate had killed certain people. And as gruesome and as cruel their deaths were, Jesus was more saddened at the eternity of these souls. And Jesus said, look, I understand your grievance, but What about the other people to the 18 people who the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they any worse? So Jesus was saying that no matter which way you die, your death could be as gruesome or it could be as painless. Maybe you will die of natural causes. You sleep and you don't wake up. Whichever be the case, we will all be judged. So we all have to come to a place of continual, repentance. And I like this parable because Jesus was not PC with the truth. He wasn't. He wasn't afraid of cancel culture. It has to be said, if we don't repent, if we don't live a lifestyle of repentance, we will perish. And it led Jesus to talk about the parable of the barren fig tree. The fig tree had been there for three years. It's taken F. It has no fruit. But the vine dresser and the master came to an agreement that, let me tell it, by the fourth year, if it doesn't give four fruits, you can destroy it. And that is a picture of Jesus coming in to interrupt the judgment that we were supposed to experience. And Christ now has washed us by his blood, Given us the Holy Spirit so that now we can be primed properly to give forth fruits. We have to live lives worthy of repentance. And lives worthy of repentance doesn't just show in our habits. It also shows in the fruits that we give birth to. Amen. And now, it led us to last week, which I have already recapped. Amen. So today is the ninth parable. And the last parable, under the kingdom takes root. So under the kingdom takes root, we are looking at nine parables. So today is the ninth parable. So anytime I'm doing one of these topics. So the next topic, which we will come to, when I come to the last parable, I'll have to do a recap and then another last ground. Amen. So now we are looking at the last parable, which is counting the cost. So go with me to Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 33. Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 33. So next week, we'll have a Q&A. Amen. Next week, we'll have a Q&A. So the Q&A will be on any of the parables you may have heard. Uh, if you do well, what do you understand it um, any preaching you may have heard over the past six months I'll, I'll extend it to that too and any doctrinal stuff that you need clarity on so next week it will just be q so when I come next week when we just pray I'm just waiting for questions if there are no questions to bless God we'll have an opportunity to close early Amen all right So Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 33. Our last and final parable, under part one, the kingdom takes root. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life. Also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it Least after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000, or else Father, the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all, cannot be my disciple. Amen. I don't know, but under my my the subheading of this text is it's written living all to follow Christ. So today, that's the parable. Now, one of the things that I want us to consider is that what made Jesus decide to give this parable? Let's look at the background. Please go with me to the same Luke chapter 14, verse 7. Luke chapter 14, verse 7. So he told a parable. So what made Jesus decide to give this was he's going to tell them a parable. Because in verse 1, it talked about Jesus, they, 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 they came to him asking him that is it lawful for him to heal on the Sabbath? And then Jesus also Answered them by asking them a question that which of you have a donkey on an ox that has fallen into a pit? And will you not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath? And they could not answer him. So Jesus unveiled their hypocrisy. You are prepared to do this for an animal. And the Jewish people who are sons and daughters of Abraham. Do they not deserve to be healed? So these people were trying to be technical with Jesus. And Jesus unveiled their hypocrisy. And if you read it, the Bible lets us know he didn't answer them. But then Jesus is going to tell a parable to drive home a very important quality which is needed in our Christian faith. And we will do this parable. So this will not be there. the the, the last time we will touch on this parable but I need to read this parable to get the background of why Jesus talked about the parable of losing all to follow him so he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places saying to them when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast do not sit down in the best place Least one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, Give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invites you comes, he may say to you, Friend, go up higher then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So the truth that Christ wanted to drive home to his people was humility. When you are humble, you are not so concerned about the chiefest of seats. That's what Jesus was saying. And Jesus is by no means also saying that you should be treated like a doormat. That's not what Jesus is also saying. I mean, when Jesus has no problem or the scriptures has no problem with you being accorded your rightful honor when it's deserved. Jesus is talking about, don't be too preoccupied and attach your sense of importance to a seat or the circle of people you flow with. You know, I always say this. Maybe I might have said it here before. Anytime I read this scripture, I always remember my presiding bishop because personally, I have seen him put this scripture into practice several times. When you go to a place, he sit at the lowly place. And when you are called, and you are called, you are honored. I've seen this happen sev- several times, several. It teaches us about humility. Don't attach your sense of importance to sitting arrangements. Don't attach your sense of importance to the clique or the circle you flow in. It won't allow you to be humble. So Christ is talking to us about humility. And one thing you also have to know about humility is that it gives away something. It's tough to be humble. Because the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that let this mind was in Christ be in us. That mind of humility. Jesus had to give up something. He gave up his pristine divine qualities and took on the form of a man. So real humility gives away something. You know, sometimes we have many ways by which we say some people are humble. When we see someone who speaks slow, we say he's humble. When we see someone who interjects his statements with yes please and Thank you, and yes, please. We say he is humble when we see someone bow down before he shakes your hand. We say he's you know all those things don't mean you are humble. Or someone is holding heavy stuff and they say, "Oh, let me, let me, let me help you with your load." That, those are not signs of humility. A sign of a humble person is one who doesn't think of himself highly than he ought to because someone could you know give all these gestures of quote-unquote humility and will be very proud and humility always gives something it always gives something then jesus goes on to say another story when you give dinner or supper that's verse 12 of luke chapter 14 Do not ask your friends, brothers, relatives, rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you will be repaid. So he's still talking about humility. This is a quality of humility. Doing things and not expecting to be paid back. So you're hosting a dinner in your house. Friends, brothers, relatives, rich neighbors. Jesus says, don't invite them. Now, why do Jesus say that? He is not saying don't invite them at all, but he is talking about the motive. Don't invite them with the motive that you will be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the memmed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You see, these people, when you invite them, you will never receive any payment in this life to come. You receive it in the hereafter. So they're talking to us about humility. Humility gives away something. If, if, if you tell me you are humble, what have you given in exchange of that? That's real biblical humility. Amen. So now, based on this, Jesus talks to us about this story. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, yes, in his own life, he cannot be my disciple. It takes humility to be a disciple of Christ because you have to lose something. Now, if you look at this Greek word hate here, it's not talking about enmity. It's talking about preference. All right. Because the Bible tells us we shouldn't hate. We shouldn't have enemies. All right. So sometimes you ask yourself, if Jesus said we shouldn't have enemies matter uh, how do we have no preference. When you come to Christ, you are to prefer him over your father, your mother, over your wife, over your children, your brothers, and your your preference. Because God is a jealous God. It takes humility to be a disciple. It's a cost. It's a very expensive cost. So Jesus was telling them that I'm inviting you to be a disciple, but it's a calculated risk. I'm not playing on your emotions. I want you to think about the risk involved in becoming a disciple. And this scripture still holds today on June 21st, 2023. If you want to be a hardcore disciple of Christ, you have to prefer Christ over your father, Christ over your mother, Christ over your wife, Christ over your children, Christ over your brother, Christ over your sisters. That's humility. Now, to prefer doesn't mean that you will not carry your duties. Do you understand? So, for example, if you're a son, it doesn't mean you will not look after your father and your mother. All right? If you're a husband, it doesn't mean you will not take care of your wife because the Bible says if you don't do that, you are worse than an infidel or an unbeliever. If if you are a father, it doesn't mean you will not look after your children. You shouldn't neglect their needs. And it also doesn't mean if you if you happen to have siblings, you also not take care of them and invest in a relationship with them. So Christ is not telling us to abrogate our responsibilities, but Christ is saying that There is a cost, and the cost is that you have to prefer them over me. You have to prefer them. It doesn't mean you have to abrogate your responsibilities, but you have to prefer them over me. Now, let me show you a scripture. Mark chapter 7. I just want you to see something. Mark chapter 7, verse 10, Jesus had a bone to pick with the Pharisees, right? He said that, For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is common, that is a gift from God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You have made the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which has been handed down to you, and many such things you do. Jesus was very upset with the Pharisees because they were extorting money from the the people. That even when you have money, and if your father and mother ask for money, tell them it is Corban. And what's the meaning of Corban? Corban means the money is dedicated to God. And Jesus is saying, because you have laid such heavy burdens on them, they are not able to look after their father and their mother. Personally, I, this is my personal conviction, I don't, I don't believe in making fundraising and saying things like, oh, the money that you have that you use to go and pay your children's school fees or give to your mother, bring it to the house of the Lord and God will bless you. I don't believe in doing that based on this scripture and also based on 2 Corinthians chapter 9 because the Bible says that we shouldn't be people who will compel people to give for God loves that he is a forgiver. Let the person do that out of his own conviction. Let the person do that out of his own conviction. So if the person has his last money and they say, oh, I'm going to use it for my money, but I believe strongly that the Lord is speaking to me to give this money because I believe, God, well, that's a different thing. But I'm not going to make it a blanket statement because of the scripture. Are you understanding me? So Jesus is not against you taking care of your earthly responsibilities. That's all I just wanted us to do. He had a problem with that. So now you read really Luke chapter 14. Now Jesus is saying that if you don't hate, if you if 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 you don't if if you have to hate before you can be my disciple. What I want to mean is that Jesus is not talking to us that we should abrogate our responsibilities. Do you understand? Because he had a problem with the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees, they would tell people that any money that you have, tell your family it is common. And the Jewish person understands common. This money is dedicated to God. And and Jesus is saying that, but in the law of Moses, it says, honor your father and mother. And one of the ways you honor your father and mother is to look after them. So when Jesus is talking to us in Luke chapter 14 that you have to prefer me over your father, prefer me over your mother, prefer me over your wife, prefer me over your child, prefer me over your brother or sister, he's not talking about abrogating responsibility. He's just talking about I should be first. I should be first. I should be first. In the scale of preference, I should matter more. I should matter more than your father. I should matter more than your wife. I should matter more than I should be first. It's a loss. It's an aspect of humility. That's why we are encouraging Philippians chapter 2 that let this mind of Christ, this mindset of Christ, let it be in us. He was humble. But we saw his humility because he lost something. So to be a disciple of Christ, to be invited into discipleship, you have to lose something. That's it. You can't be a disciple. And Jesus didn't change the standard. He says that if you don't bear your cross and come after me, you cannot be my disciple. So, every believer has a cross. This cross is not a cross to die on for the sins of the world, because we have one that has done that already. This cross is to renounce the flesh. So for us to put God first, which is a sign of humility, we will have to crucify the flesh. The principle of self-renunciation has to come in here. Because when our flesh is too lively, we can't be humble. So he's talking to us about humility. Jesus is talking about count the cost. He gives two examples. Count the cost. When you are building a house, you don't just start building with zeal. You first and foremost count the cost. Do I have money? Okay? Do I have the materials? Do I have all the necessary logistics to put up a structure? You, you put all these things in consideration because when you start the house and you are not able to finish, you will become the subject of mockery. It's not good. Count the cost. Then Jesus used the second example. If a king is going for war and he has 10,000 people or an army of 10,000 facing an army of 20,000, he can decide okay, I can either make peace or I'll go for war. But whichever be the case, there is calculator' involved there is planning involved. you don't just come to Christ there, 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 you, you have to come to Christ intelligently you have to come to Christ with a clear recognition that you will lose something. How many of us are preaching this gospel? I don't want to be a disciple of Jesus you will lose something. you will lose something. we don't have to play on on your emotions just to come to Christ. We also have to appeal to the mind. You have to understand. Look at it carefully. You want to follow. You will lose something. We have to let you know. So if you can't the cost and if you can't, you can go back. That's fine. But you will lose something. And the condition or the criteria is never going to change. And we who, who have become stewards of this message, we also don't have to change the standard you will lose something we have to let people know we don't have to be pc about it okay and be saying plastic messages like when you come to christ everything will be solved all your problems will go no you will lose something you will lose when you become a disciple you will lose something you will have to prefer the lord over your wife you have to prefer the lord over your child You have to prefer the Lord over your mother. You have to prefer the Lord over a lot of things. It's a loss. It is a loss. Otherwise, you can't be his disciple. And you can only do that when you carry your cross. Because the cross means that you are prepared to kill the flesh self-renunciation. When your flesh is too lively, you can't understand the prospect of humility because ego will kick in here. You know, the the greatest threat to, to humility is ego. It is. When you go to a place And you know that this chief seat belongs to you. The Bible says, "Take the lower seat, so that when you are called, there is much honor." The Pharisees didn't understand that. They didn't understand that. That's why in Matthew chapter twenty-three, Jesus talked about. He said, "You guys like the chief seats, chief. You like the chief seats because they attach their sense of importance to that." So today. This parable is driving home to us the cost of discipleship. Please count the cost. Please count the cost. We are not going to fluff the message. Okay? Count the cost. When you come into Christ, you will lose If you can't, bless you. But you will lose something. And the message will not change. As the years are going by, we don't have to modify this message. The word of God still stands. You will lose something in 2023. 2024, you will lose something. You will still lose something. It's never going to change. That is the cost of discipleship. Count it. Be like the builder who counts carefully before he starts his building project. Be like the general who counts carefully to see whether I have an army to face my opponents, count it carefully. Count it carefully because the Bible lets us know that when you come into the faith and when you live because of the demands it is tasking of you, you become the subject of mockery and scorn. You can that. So, this has really come to give us a very somber and a very sobering thought of Christianity. It involves humility. And you can't tell me you are humble without losing something. You have to lose something. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind, which is in Christ, be in you, who not in the form of God, thought it's not robbery to be equal with God. But he condescended to himself of men of low esteem. He lost something. That's humility. But for us to truly come to a place of humility, we have to crucify the flesh. Amen. I'm done for tonight. If you have any question or contribution, the next three minutes is welcome. And we close. Next week, like we said, it's just going to be a Q&A. Amen. God bless you. Do we have any question, any contribution? What have you learned tonight then? If there is no question, what have you learned tonight? Two minutes on the clock. Can someone just volunteer?
1: Okay. good evening. Evening. Yes, I, uh, my contribution, I really liked how you uh, defined humility and what it means to be humble. It's very two important things. You know, sometimes we get so focused on the outside appearance of humility uh, when humility is something from the inside of our, of our being where we are basically... Uh, I like the whole thing where you talked about the sacrificing, um, because we do, we, we have to sacrifice our ego, our pride. Uh, that's where, that's where true humility is. Are we able to put those things down and choose a higher ground in a lot of situations? And, you know, it's hard. It's, it's a difficult thing, but we always see God. We always see God come through. So that's, that's what I wanted to say. Thank you so much. God bless you for tonight.
0: Amen. God bless you. Father, help us to be true disciples. May we follow you to the very end. May we be humble. Teach us to be humble, O Lord. Teach us your concept of humility, not the traditional aspect of humility. May we understand your real biblical, true concept of humility. Lord, we've learned it will cost us but we look forward to the blessed hope of the resurrection. Thank you, O Lord. May we stand firm on our convictions of discipleship. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. May we all be good disciples. Count the cost. But what I will tell you is that it's worth it. It's worth it because of the resurrection. So don't let it be grievous. Don't let it be better than some. It is worth it. Amen.